Thank you so much, man. Hey, let's do this. Man, we are going to be in Luke 12. There it goes. We're going to be in Luke 12. Uh, man, if you've got a Bible, that's where you're flipping to. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. And if somebody has one of those blue ones too and they want to shout out what page number Luke 12 is, that'd probably be helpful. So you can just grab that Bible underneath if, uh, if you need to. Uh, we really did miss you guys. Um, man, praise God for tonight. Praise God for what he's, uh, I believe, going to do. Um, while you're flipping there, we, um, first I want, you got the page? 871. Thank you, sir. Um, <clears throat> we wanted, also I didn't mention this earlier, uh, we wanted to invite you guys afterward, after Renovate, to come and, and be a part of this thing too. We, we talk a big game about we don't want to just be a show. And so, man, come and hang out and, and continue worshiping with us as we just go and, and get to know each other and, and also really try to engage the city well. Uh, so if you're a college student, there's something really cool going on this, this semester. The residents who live in that house right there, if you could see through this wall, there's a house. Uh, they are turning their backyard into just a really neat uh, hangout for college students uh, after Wednesday nights. So just literally walk across the street into the backyard, just probably follow the noise. I think they're building a bonfire, so like where there's flames and smoke, um, roasted marshmallows, that kind of stuff. And man, for everyone else, we're heading to Central Market uh, tonight. So just join us and hang out and be a part of this family. We really would love to have you uh, be a part of that thing. Also, if you're joining us, what we do here at Renovate is uh, we, we believe in the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is what's powerful. We believe that this is where transformation happens, is His truth, not by me or Tyler or Josh or Casey or anyone on our team. Um, transformation happens by us just getting up here and preaching and applying and observing and letting the Word of God uh, wash over us and change us and renovate us. And so that's what uh, we're about. And so if, if kind of this is your first on-ramp, we started the book of Luke like nine years ago, whenever, I guess it was in August, uh, we started the book of Luke. And then we've just been chugging through it. So we'll just, we, we got through 11 chapters in all of last semester. And so now we're picking up in chapter 12 and we're just going to see what he has for us. The reason we do that and the reason we're not just trying to do cute series is because we believe that that is what's really going to be uh, life-changing um, for you guys and, and for us, obviously, also. So Luke 12, uh, here's, <laughs> uh, here's what's going to happen tonight, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, prayerfully. Um, this is a mess, man. There's 30 verses that we're going to try to tackle. We're going to start in, in verse 4 and work through till uh, 34 in, in chapter 12. And there's so much stuff here, man. There's so much rich, life-changing truth in those 30 verses. Did I say chapters? Those 30 verses um, that... Uh, that just have, have power to change us. And so I'm just going to start throwing up on you guys. It's really what's going to happen. Um, and then like 90 minutes later, you're going to be like, oh, golly. Uh, but, but really what I'm going to try to do is, is, is see what he will do through us. So, um, so that's where it is. And the thing it's addressing tonight in chapter 12 is I think something that is crazy significant. Um, is there a plane about to land on us? You guys hear that? Is there a helicopter about to land? Obama's coming, isn't he? You called him, didn't you? That guy, or Trump? Oh, gosh. Let's move on. Um, so <clears throat> what we're talking about here, golly, I'm a mess. So what we're talking about here tonight, what the book of Luke is talking about, is it's addressing the issue of anxiety. Um, it is an issue that I think is um, maybe one of the most pervasively paralyzing attacks of the enemy in our life. Uh, I think there are few to no people in this room who are not 
um, at least in some way in their life, affected by anxiety and worry and fear and how the enemy and how our flesh uses that. So if you are somebody who has wrestled with anxiety, you are somebody who worries about going into the room of strangers, you are somebody who worries and is paralyzed by what is that next step in my life and the ambiguous I don't know and those things in our life that just, that just um, take the wind out of our sails. It is a poison. Uh, anxiety is a poison. And it poisons our life and it poisons our relationships and it, it poisons our worship of him. It poisons our effectiveness because when we are in those places, it is everything in us just to walk into the room we need to be in or to get out of bed or it's debilitating. And why I love going through the word of God is that we don't have to do a mini-series on anxiety. We can preach the word and then all of a sudden in Luke 12, those who follow Jesus wrestled and were paralyzed by it. And so Jesus Christ speaks truth into their life in chapter 12. That's where we're going, uh, the antidote for what, uh, for what the Bible has to say about how to battle uh, what is so across the board debilitating uh, to us and to, to those in this room who would be honest enough to admit it. So let's go. Verse 4. Jesus says this in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Stop right there. Just this one chunk of scripture. Uh, this is a perspective shift that Christ Jesus is offering us in this room today, his disciples, through his word. He's calling us to a radical perspective shift. Did you see it? Freedom comes from fearing the right thing. Freedom from anxiety, from that attack, freedom comes from fearing the right thing. I want to make a couple observations. The first one, before I really unpack what I mean by freedom comes from fearing the right thing, is just the observation in verse 4 that Jesus is not saying, hey, don't fear because nothing bad is going to happen. Right? It's really important for us to understand that. He's not saying, our Savior isn't saying, hey, don't fear because I've got it all covered and, and harm is not going to come to you. He says, hey, don't fear the person who takes your life. Not because I'm not going to let him. There is something really important in Christianity to understand that we are not promised. Those who follow Christ, prosperity. That Oh, man, if we just, if we just believe and do the, do the Christian stuff we all know we're supposed to do, you know, it's Sundays, it's maybe, you know, reading in the Bible every once in a while, it's, you know, it's kind of we got this list and then really spiritual coming on Wednesday night and getting like an extra dose and man, if we just do those things, well then the lie that we might have been taught is and then God is going to bless, then you'll get a bigger house, then you'll get the promotion you need, then you'll get, you know, then you'll really, you'll really grow in, in your wealth and your comfort. That's nowhere in the New Testament, that's nowhere in Scripture. And, and if there is someone who's preaching that to you, that gospel, hey, just follow God, and he's really going to take care of you here on earth, and, and everything's going to be comfortable for you, um, I would say run. And I would say run from that person. Because that is the most unloving thing we could say. Sure, it sounds really positive, and it sounds really nice. And I said, man, just do all these right Christian things, and God's going to give you, you know, give you that nice house and that perfect wife or husband, and that, you know, just keep doing those things. That's not his promise to us. His promise is life. His promise is fullness. His promise is purpose. 
But it's not prosperity and comfort in this world. That's not, that's not his priority list for us. He has much better things for us. And how unloving if, if we blow past it. How unloving if we stand up here and preach some shallow gospel that would really get a lot of people excited and everyone would feel good and say, man, I'm going to keep coming to that thing because then I might, I might get that next level here on, on this earth. Um, man, it's unloving. If my, my buddy Brett just moved out of his house with he and his wife because there was mold in it, right? How unloving would it be if he is in a poisonous home? It's like, no, it'll be fine. Black mold is fine. Just live there. It'll be great. It's a lie. <clears throat> We've got to run from that. Okay, it's one of the striking things I think about when he says don't fear. He doesn't say don't fear because nothing bad will ever happen to you if you just keep having your quiet times. He says something else. He says, don't fear the world. Don't fear those who could only take your life. But then he says, fear me. Our God calls us to fear the right thing. Right? He, says, uh, he says, but I will warn you whom to fear in verse 5. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. That is huge. Where our fear should be focused and that brings freedom if we focus it in the right place. Uh, let me illustrate from Luke 8. In Luke 8, the disciples are, uh, are in a boat with Jesus. And they're heading across the sea. And Jesus is asleep underneath uh, in, the, in the bottom of the boat, just hanging out down there, passed out, exhausted. And a huge storm rolls in. Right? If you remember this story, there's this massive storm and the waves are crashing. And the disciples are fearful. And they are anxious. And they are worried about the storm. And they are worried about the conditions to the point where they think, this is it. We're dead. We are going to die. We're not surviving this storm. We're not making it across the sea. They go down. They wake up Jesus in Luke 8. And they say, Jesus, we're doomed. This is over, man. And Jesus says, you have little faith. And he goes up there and he calms the storm. And this, this raging storm that fishermen, right? Like these aren't farmers who were panicked because they'd never been on water before. These were fishermen. They were professional water people, right? That's what they do. They live on water. Think that's the definition of a fisherman. <clears throat> Professionally. And they think they're going to die. And that bad of a storm with the voice of Jesus Christ <whistles> silences it. And what happens in Luke 8? They get terrified in an awesome, awe-inspiring way of who is this man in this boat with me right now? All of a sudden, their fear went to all these circumstances and waves and thunder and storm and water's coming in the boat and all the circumstances around their life. And then, with one word, the storm silences and they are terrified, Scripture says. Who is this man? This must be God. That gives me goosebumps. Because all of a sudden, they're in the boat with the one who has authority over that storm. It's not do not fear at all. Let's just go through life lackadaisical and don't. It's fear the right thing. Fear the one who is in the boat with you. Because he has the authority and the power and the ability. That is beautiful and that is sobering. And repositioning our fear from the circumstances in the world and the to who is in the boat with us, to our God and how powerful he is, that brings freedom from anxiety. And, and look, look what happens when we acknowledge him, when we refocus that. Verse 8, let me read 8 through 12 here. Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. 
But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's really interesting. We'll come back to that. And when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, all of these horrible circumstances and you're being tried, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself, what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Um, the result of our acknowledgement of our God, uh, the, the result of us saying, you are my sovereign Lord, you are who I'm submitting to, you are where I'm going to place my awe and my respect and my fear, is that he acknowledges us. Verse 9 should weigh on us. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That's a weighty verse. Um, that, shouldn't, um, that shouldn't be a fear tactic, but that should be something we take really seriously. Uh, that we are in the boat with the one that we don't want to deny before men. We don't want to deny this Jesus or put him in a nice little safe compartment that fits Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and in a few select groups. Uh, we want to be people who would acknowledge him that he might acknowledge us. Um, and and I, there's also a little passage in there, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it would get us into the weeds, um, but this idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that if we deny the Holy Spirit, that's unforgivable sin, conversations of, some people in this room might have wondered, like, oh, no, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Am I in danger of maybe not, uh, maybe, maybe that's the unforgivable sin here? Um, and, and I can't go into a whole lot of it, but here's what I would say. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit's role in our life? It's to make much of Jesus, to say Jesus is Lord. That's what the Holy, the Holy Spirit says, yes, 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 yes to Christ. And so blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would be the Holy Spirit saying Jesus is Lord and us saying, nope. I reject that. I reject that Jesus is Lord. So if you're in this room and you're a believer and you say, well, yes, Jesus is Lord, then uh, I would say you're safe from the unforgivable sin. Uh, but honestly, I'd love to talk about that more. There's whole books and blogs and stuff written about that verse. So if you want to come to Central Market, we can, uh, we can chat about that more. Summary. This one little point here, right? This, this one way that we see freedom. Don't fear the wrong thing. Fear him. Acknowledge him. When I say fear, I don't mean quivering, paralyzed fear. Or what do I mean? I mean awesome fear. I mean the kind of fear the scripture says is the beginning of wisdom. That kind of fear. The fear um, that we have a God who is in control. The fear that we would have for a, a, just an awesome lion in this room, right? That was for us. And a little hyena came in here and was, you know, came in here and started talking mess and was going to, you know, start, start messing around with us and nibbling at our ankles and stuff. And we've got a lion. We've got Aslan standing behind us, right? That awesome fear relationship that we would have with the Lord and how the gospel then brings us in fellowship with that God, the, the fact that that awesome God also we can come confidently to, that we're not paralyzed by, that he is also... He allows us to call him Abba, Daddy, that that is our God because of how Jesus has bridged us to that awesome of a God. Um, that is worthy of worship, man. We're, we're going to get into a little bit more of that at the end. Um, it's about putting fear in the right place, man. That perspective shift will bring you freedom. Let's move on to, to this, other, this other thing we see in Scripture, this other way that Christ seems to, to teach us where freedom is from anxiety. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, they said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, I have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And then verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Um, You see what this is unpacking here? You, You see this picture? This rich man, wealthy, has all of this wealth, so much so that his barns don't even hold it. He's like, man, what am I going to do with all my wealth and all this extra I have? I know, I'll tear down my barns and build much bigger barns, and then I can just relax and be comfortable, and, and I can just live the rest of my life. And then in a moment, the Lord says, nope, your life ends tonight. Perspective shift. This should give us a perspective shift to invest in the right thing. Freedom comes, freedom from anxiety, freedom comes from investing in the right thing. Um, there's an illustration I want to do. I apologize if it's cheesy, but that's <laughs> tough. Um, <clears throat> so uh, back when I used to be a junior high pastor, I would do this one all the time. Uh, we're going to go here. Oh, we're going to go cross, because how spiritual would that be if I tied it to the cross? <clears throat> yeah, guys, it's a real deal right here. <clears throat> so... Uh, some of you guys have kind of said, Francis Chan actually does a really cool illustration similar to this um, that uh, goes viral all the time. Chan stole it from Augustine. Augustine stole it from Jesus. So um, we're going to talk about it. But uh, here we have, picture this string, right, as a, this timeline of history, right? So we're going to say this is a timeline of history, right? We know that God is outside of time, which is such an easy concept to grasp. So uh, let's just understand he's outside of time, right? But we are literally trekking along here. Uh, that knot on the cross there was creation, right? That was the beginning of, of our of history of man, right? And then we go through and we've got this thing. Uh, hey, Thomas, can you help me here? So, uh, <clears throat> Thomas, will you take this sucker and will you actually walk out that door right there? <clears throat> so this is the history of all things. And don't you pull over that cross too. Yeah, go right through that door. <clears throat> and just keep walking. And then just tie it off somewhere where we can't see it. She just disappear back there. I love you. <clears throat> hey, see if you can pull the slack, too. Asking a lot. Okay, you're a good man. Okay, so, um, so we don't even know where this ends, right? Thomas could be in Alito. No, what is that? He could be in Dallas, right? We'll just say, we'll just say Thomas is infinitely far, right? So we have the history of, of time, right? Um, this is a disaster. Here we go. <clears throat> I need to take up some of the slack. Easy, easy does it. Okay, this is weak here. Tyler, hold this down. Let's get some slack on this line. Guys, give it up for the professor. History, right? History. Jesus, we got Abraham some in here. Don't get mad at me too if I can new earth or young earth. Like this isn't, uh, I don't actually know. Thank you, Thomas. I don't actually know where, right, the perspective we have. But let's say... Let's say Abraham's back here, the Jewish people, what, what we read about in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, toss me a clothespin right there. Is that a clothespin right next to you, Tyler? <clears throat> Jesus' ministry, uh, we'll go here. So it's blocked by this table. It begins right here, 
right? And then the crucifixion and resurrection right here, this entire closed bin kind of sums up that, and probably more so, right? The 33 years of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? He's also outside of time because he's part of the triune God. Let's say, let's say your life is here. Again, I don't know that it's going to be that long until history ends. Just go with me on this. Let's say this is where, not there, right here. <laughs> this is where you were born, right here. Will you hand me another clothespin? <clears throat> You're born right here, and let's say you get, what do you think, 94 years? 94 years of life, right? Healthy, you did Zen a lot, and you are right here. That is your birth and death right here. Your grandkids, every, every renovate you went to all fits right in that little package right there. That's it. The way we live our lives is insane. It's crazy that we build for ourselves kingdoms and storehouses and the ability to have a perspective that says if we are in Christ... If we are in Christ here, what has happened and transformed the history of everything now allows us to be a part of his eternal story that he is telling. And yet we get hung up on, oh, what's my five-year plan? And we get hung up on, not that it's unwise to plan and, and make good decisions and set goals, but we get paralyzed by the anxiety of people fighting so hard to get to retirement age. And this is this verse, this parable that Jesus tells, is, it, it rails in the face of this perspective that would say, here is what I'm focused on, as opposed to an eternal perspective of where we're investing, investing in eternity, investing in things that are eternal. Thank you, Tyler. I'm going to untie this thing. Um, <clears throat> that is, uh, is crazy. Right? We can see how crazy it is that we would, we would take all of this time and we would just wad it up and we would just focus on our 94 years or our three months. We have no clue when he's coming. We have no clue when he says, the bell's ringing. It's time for you to come home. It's time for you to step into an eternity. And what have we invested in? Our perspective is so admittedly sinfully narrow. Sinfully narrow. But instead, we find freedom we find freedom in investing in the right thing, investing in his kingdom, investing in things that are eternal. That is, a, that is huge. That is a perspective that I lose sight of on a daily, moment-to-moment -moment basis. And yet there is freedom in, in fighting for God's perspective to see more. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to invest in his kingdom real practically here in a second. What does that mean to invest in his kingdom? Let's move on to verse 22. And he said to his disciples in verse 22, <clears throat> Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about, what or about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his, life, to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. His perspective. My challenge to fear the right one. My challenge to invest in the right one. Uh, my challenge to trust the right one. Freedom comes from trusting the right one. He takes care of the ravens. Jesus, I can't come up with a better illustration than Jesus Christ. Look at the birds. We have, um, we have these things out uh, here in the lobby. Uh, we got made uh, this last Christmas break. Ryan, and Ryan Christian and Michael Coyner put these things together. And uh, it's a, you can't see it in the back, but it's a picture of a raven. It's a green card. Uh, on the back, it actually, it's an inviter. We, we designed these things to be a tool for you guys to use for people that you want to bring to this thing. And so we were like, hey, let's make like a non-cheesy inviter card uh, that somebody could keep in their wallet or keep in their person and hand to somebody. Uh, so we've got some that have R's on them. We've got several different images. But one of the images that Ryan picked out was this. And, and the reason it was this uh, was because of this verse. So as a reminder to us, as a conversation starter, you meet somebody at a bar or at Central Market or at work, and you talk to him and you hand him, hey, man, I do this cool thing on Wednesday nights, and, and you're trying to introduce him into this kind of a community. There's information about it on the back, man. Here's my number. Here's my, my name. And they're like, what the heck is a raven on there for? Man, because this is what I believe. This is the perspective I have. Because look at the ravens, man. They don't have savings accounts. They don't have storehouses where they store up food. And they begin their day absolutely broke and hungry with no refrigerator, and yet God provides for them. And man, we believe, we believe, because this tells us that we are more, val of how much more value are we than the birds? How much more value are we than the grass, the lilies of the field? How much more valuable are you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are valuable to your king? Do you believe that you're valuable to this awesome, awesome awe-inspiring God. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the... He says he's going to take care of you. Do we trust that? It's easy for me to stand up here and ask that question and read this scripture. That is a daily battle. It's a daily fight. I say, well, yes, I do. And then, and then this, this distance from understanding it here and applying it here and the worry of, yeah, I, I trust him, but I don't know what job I'm going to have in a year, right? I trust him, but I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen to me financially. I trust him, but I trust him, but there's this fear, and there's this fear, and there's this fear. And our Savior is saying, he cares about you. He cares about you, and he will take care of you. Not to elicit foolishness from us, but to elicit faith, and to elicit obedience and submission to him. Freedom comes from trusting the right one. And then finally, here's where we're going to land this thing, man, action. Um, what's our action, man? What's the application of this? We are not only called to trust these things and, and invest in these ways and, and shift our fear to the right perspective, but we are called to action. Verse 31. Verse 31 is so good. Instead, instead, right, our brain should go off there. This is huge. How do we get free from this? Instead of those things, we should seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 
Seek his kingdom, and these, that is our action. That is what we do and, and strive for, and that produces freedom from anxiety. But what if I don't know where I'm going to work, and what if I don't seek his kingdom? What if I don't know who I'm going to marry, or when I'm going to marry, or if I'm going to marry? Seek his kingdom. What if I don't know about my paycheck or these raises? Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. What if we were so consumed with seeking his kingdom out here? that we didn't have time to worry about that stuff? What if seeking God's kingdom here on this earth consumed my time? What the heck do I mean by seeking his kingdom? What, is, what does that practically mean? Our God, we recognize as king, and because of Jesus Christ and the authority of Christ, we now get to come into relationship with that God. We talked about it, and we talked about fearing the right one. That awesome lion that could destroy us, that could, that could calm the storm, that awesome, worthy of our fear, God and Father and Creator, and He is our Abba because of Jesus Christ. Because I'm some broken, messed up guy who is far from Him and far from worthy to sit at His table, infinitely far. My worthiness falls way short to, to deserve a seat at His table and fellowship with Him, and yet through Christ, He says, I know, I know. You are doomed to hell, Ben. You are so, you are far from, your sin separates you. Yet through Jesus Christ and your faith and your acknowledgement that he is the only, I am entering into your brokenness. I'm putting flesh on and entering into your broken world and paying for all of that junk. And then through that relationship, I now get to sit at the king's table. It's not just fire insurance that I got. I got to be entered into his kingdom, which this book speaks of constantly. His kingdom is at hand. His kingdom is coming. And now I get to be an ambassador to say, hey, the way, the way our king does things is differently. Our king doesn't divide based on race. Our king doesn't divide on socioeconomic status. Our king doesn't divide on politics of left and right. Our king doesn't separate and segregate and look down on and he hates sin and takes sin seriously, but he has offered a solution for all who are in sin. All who are in sin now have a solution to walk and repent and experience the grace of God and then live in continual repentance. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's this, it's this place that one day will be here fully. And right now, we're called to say, let's usher that in. Let's get a taste of that. Let's let Wednesday night be a taste of what the kingdom would look like. Let's love people. Let's welcome new people. Let's not judge people. Let's not be cliquish. Let's not, oh, man, I don't like that these people are coming. Oh, I don't like that. Let's be a place that says you are welcome at the table of the Lord because of how good he is. And there is eternity. It is a picture of eternity. And there are people. Do we realize, brothers and sisters in this room, that there are people who do not have that relationship, and they will not spend eternity at his table. Are we struck by that, that we go to work and we have family members, and maybe you're sitting next to one of them in this room, and maybe you came into this place and you're enjoying the community, but you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know where your eternity is. If you were to die, you don't know what that looks like. Are we people that say, let's bring that kingdom here. Let's invite other people into the kingdom of God. Let's introduce them to Jesus Christ. Let's be obsessed with introducing people to Christ Jesus so that they might be a part of this kingdom and see all that, even though it's broken in this world and we can't quite, one day it will be fully realized. Let's get tastes of that here. 
Let's be obsessed with that. Let's seek his kingdom. Let's seek his kingdom. And in doing that, maybe we don't have time as much for me to be consumed with myself. Maybe I don't have time to worship myself as much as my default would. It's a daily thing too, man. It's not just something we hear on one Wednesday night or Sunday morning at a conference one day. It's a daily fight. He doesn't lay out the map for us for the rest of our life. We daily say, Lord, how can we see more of your kingdom here? How can I love the way that all your scripture and all, your, all these verses, they speak to what it looks like. And every nuance of scripture speaks to what this kingdom looks like. And how can I be bathed and, and find more of the nuances and how this is supposed to look, Lord? Daily, we fight for that. Daily, we remind ourselves. And we find freedom from our stress in having awe and worship for God. We find freedom from your anxiety from, from his perspective. We find freedom from your worry and trusting in his provision for you. Let me close with these verses. Uh, it's the end of this little section that Christ teaches. He says this. I want you to hear this over your life. I want you to uh, hear this as words from the Lord speaking to you. It's not an accident you were here tonight. Listen to this. This is, from, this is from your Savior. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, where is your treasure in this world? Where is your treasure in this world? Whose kingdom are you trying to build? Are you building a kingdom for you and for your worship and for your comfort? Or are you building a kingdom for him? The only one that it really satisfies to worship. Let me pray over you. Father, uh, Father, would you, would you convict us? Would your spirit take this truth of Luke 12? God, would you shift our perspective, Lord? Um, we are people who, uh, every, everywhere we turn, anxiety is waiting for us and it haunts us. And um, Lord, would, uh, would this not be an oversimplification of the cure for anxiety, but instead would it be a, a lifelong pursuit of your perspective, God? A perspective shift of where we invest who we fear, who we trust. God, would you give us your perspective? Would you bless uh, my friends in this room with your perspective and your kingdom and would be people who are about your kingdom? And Lord, for those in this room who sit here and they realize, I don't have this relationship with you. I, am, I don't know my eternal destiny. Would you remind them of how you love them and the, the only way that you have given us to approach you, which is through the person and work of Jesus Christ and our trust in Christ Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. Father, would you, uh, would you allow us to walk in that way? Would you give them boldness? And um, Lord, would tonight be a night that changes all of us um, because of who you are, because of your word, Lord. Change us, mold us, make us obsessed with you for your glory in the name of Jesus.